Hey guys, on today's episode, we're going to talk USU women's hoops, Sam Merrill getting invited to Chris Ball's basketball camp, the men's tennis coach resigning, and we're going to get into a football discussion later on. Enjoy! From the campus of Utah State University, we bring you the Statesman Sports Desk Podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to our, I guess this is like our third episode, kind of technically. We did like an hour of NBA free agency. Yeah. We were planning on just like having a, this little portion of NBA free agency, and then we get into what we're going to talk about today, because there's so much Aggie stuff going on right now, despite the fact that it's July. Right. You'd be surprised that like you could do 30 minutes on Aggie stuff when I don't think there's been a game for a month and a half, but yeah, there's, there's plenty to talk about. Yeah, there hasn't been an Aggie sport played since... I think April. Yeah. Yeah, I think tennis played in April, which we'll actually mention that in a minute here. But, I mean... <laughs> Unfortunately. <laughs> it's, an, it's an unfortunate, some, yeah. some negative news. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll get into that. We'll talk about Sam Merrill, some basketball, some women's basketball, which is also some unfortunate news. <laughs> and then, as it's just, we just laugh at everyone's In the eyes of some. <laughs> <laughs> like, whoa. Um... But then we'll talk about football. We'll talk a lot about football. That'll be kind of the main thrust of this episode. Um, since last time, our main deal was on Utah State basketball and a lot of the recruiting. And, of course, like, we went in to record, and then they recruited somebody else, and we had to record a different segment. Right. And then they brought in somebody else after that, and they're probably going to bring somebody else in just to make fun of me. Now I, I turned in a, uh, a rankings article for <laughs> yeah. the States when I ranked the, the seven – and of course, I kind of cheated on that because I threw out Marco Anthony. Right. <laughs> um, shameless plug for my work on the Statesman. Um, yeah, we just need to tell or ask Craig Smith, like, where is he getting all these extra scholarships? Is he just like siphoning <laughs> them off from other programs? Did he like save some from when he was out South Dakota? Yeah, or just like saving them from last year, the year before? Like, yeah. eh, just here, I've got all these extra scholarships. Yeah. Whatever shall I do with them? Oh, goodness me. Is it just like AT&T rollover minutes? You just get to like, if you <laughs> don't use roll, them one year? Rollover scholarships. One day he's got like yeah. 30 of them. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, but I can give you like two scholarships. Yeah. Yeah, just like this underground market of trading scholarships. <laughs> now we're getting far off topic, but <laughs> anyways. Well, let, let's get into one of the scholarship athletes for the men's team, Sam Merrill. Uh, the uh, Mountain West Player of the Year, Conference Tournament MVP. Uh, there's probably two other three awards I can't remember that he earned. Um, really good player. We'll just really, say yeah. that. <laughs> really um, good player. He's a, So he's a shooting guard as – Pretty much in just about every sense of the word, that's where he started. That's where he played a good chunk of his minutes. Um, but he was invited to the Chris Paul Elite Guard Camp, which would take place in mid-July. I want to say like the 17th to the 21st or something like that. Yeah. And it caught me a little off guard. One, because you don't see Utah State players invited to that kind of thing anyway. Yeah. But two is that – well. I mean, I was talking to some guy on Twitter. Was like, I was talking about how Utah State hasn't brought in a point guard, and they never did. At least they will play him. And Marco Anthony kind of fits maybe into the point guard. He's just more of a combo guard. But they, they have Abel Porter, and that's it. They lost two point guards over the offseason, didn't bring in anybody. 
you know, the closest they'll have that brought in that will play this year is Carson Bischoff, who's yeah not really not a point yeah not guard. quite a point guard either, and he may not even play. He's a walk on. Um, although he might just play just because we have three guards right. that are yeah. coming back. <laughs> he's going to be needed at some point in yeah. the season for sure. But when you when you look into it, Sam Merrill is. He's the most efficient passer on the team. I don't know if I want to say he's the best passer on the team. Um, but he does he runs the offense as the primary ball handler on a fair number of possessions, even with Abel Porter on the court. Um and when Porter wasn't on the court, which there, like late in the season, I think Porter was playing thirty minutes a game. Yeah. Um once he started. And you know, so that's 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 the last what fifteen seventeen games or so. Yeah, I think I think he started the, yeah the last seventeen games yeah. or eighteen games. In that span, Sam Merrill played about thirty seven, almost thirty eight, I think. So there was maybe eight minutes or so where he was probably the primary point guard. But again, even if Porter was on the floor, there would be plenty of possessions where Merrill is you know, the instigator as the ball handler. Um, so. He's probably going to do a lot of that again. He's probably going to learn some things, and uh, there's definitely ways that he can improve as a passer. Yeah, and I think you know, no matter what position he actually ends up playing for the team, you know, he's going to be mostly a shooting guard, like you're saying. But um, just being able to go to that camp, I think that you wrote about there's 15 people invited or something like that. Yeah, so there's 15 college players, another 30 high school players who are like the class of 2019, like juniors and seniors. I yeah, it'll be this year. So, so yeah, I mean, just the opportunity to go alone um and i'm kind of curious did, were you able to find out like any of the other people that got to participate or like are invited from the college ranks this year i can't find anything i don't think they release it publicly yeah they'll eventually release the rosters because i found rosters from last year like people who went to the event they'll like tweet out the roster that's they'll take a picture of us that's how i've known some of the past years as well as um you just you know looking around you can find out names that were there from last year so Right. For one, some guys in the NBA right now, like I think Stephen Curry was there. Um, who are the others? Kimba Walker, I think. Yeah, so Kimba Walker was a, a past invitee. CJ McCollum, Bradley Beal, Victor Oladipo, and some more recent guys. Ja Morant was just a top two pick last year. Another yeah. guy who's going to be really good next year. Marcus Howard had a good season last year at Marquette. So, I mean, yeah, if you're going to get any kind of close to the experience that those guys are getting and you know work with hopefully work with Chris Paul a little bit or whoever's there I'm sure he's got some great coaches um it's gonna be awesome it's gonna yeah. be awesome to see what he comes back as yeah it's amazing especially if he can learn a few things passing because one thing I've noticed in terms of out there when he's passing on the court is that you know I said that he's the most efficient passer he is the only player or one he was either the only one or one of like two that averaged 20 points, four assists, and less than two turnovers. The guy doesn't turn the ball over. But part of it is because he's an extremely conservative passer. Yeah. He doesn't make any of the risky passes, which is good if you don't want to turn the ball over, but it's bad if there's opportunities that can only be made by making a pass that's only about 60 to 70% yeah, possibility possibility of making it. Right. Um, and the thing is, I think he can make it because I think he's an accurate passer. He just won't make the pass. Yeah, I I almost wonder if this is something that he'll get going through this camp or just something he'll develop throughout the year. But, you know, that a little bit of aggressiveness when he's driving to the hole or, you know, when he sees an opportunity, like you're saying. And, I mean, their offense functioned well. Like, you 
wouldn't necessarily necessarily say they lost out on a ton of opportunities, um, but there's definitely room to grow, obviously. Yeah, and that's the thing is that you look at the offense, there was nothing wrong with it really. Other than the only complaint you can make is they didn't have a dynamic isolation score, which you can get around that in college. Yeah. But so, you obviously weren't saying there's nothing terribly wrong with the offense, just there is that room to grow. There's these things you can do to get it even better. You know, opening up some opportunities, you know, possession where you you think you're going to get nothing, and suddenly you make this nifty little pass to a guy who's wide open. You get a wide open shot instead of a contested mid-range or something. Uh, and you mentioned Sam Merrill's aggressiveness in scoring. He unlocked that this last year. He never really had that. But especially late in the year, he was just attacking and attacking, yeah. and getting to the rim even. And he's a spectacular finisher at the rim despite being pretty unathletic. Yeah. He just got that touch. And so that's something he unlocked this last year and allowed him to score more points than I frankly thought he could as efficiently as he did. And so this is another small thing that he can add. And it'll increase his turnover rate. He'll go from like one, he was 1.9, he might go up to like 2.7 or something like that. But there's nothing wrong with that because maybe he'll go up to five assists and then there's also an extra value created by, you know, maybe there'll be like a hockey assist or just it, again, on in a team that's based a lot on player movement, a lot of good right. cuts and a lot right. of good ball movement, some of those nifty little passes won't show up on the score sheet but they'll show up on the final score. Right. Um, well, so, so maybe he could kind of transform his game a little bit, and you can see flashes of something similar where, you know, a guy, the Jazz just picked up Mike Conley, where he's really good at that, you know, getting around the court and finding those opportunities. Maybe Sam Merrill takes a little bit more of that load on him next year. Yeah, and if he can do that, it's just another way that he can expand his game, and heck, maybe he'll even get a couple more looks at the NBA. It would depend on how good he can become. Right. I, I'm still very doubtful that he can actually make a career in the NBA just – for a number of reasons. We won't get into that today, but it's something I hope he can definitely improve because he'll he, get a shot. I think he'll yeah, get a shot. He'll he'll make a summer league roster at the very least because J.C. Carroll and uh, I think Ty Wesley and uh, who's the Spencer Butterfield. Mm-hmm. I think they all made at least summer league rosters. I think some Ty Wesley and J.C. Carroll, I'm not 100 sure on. I, I believe J.C. Carroll did it, but I mean, speaking of J.C. Carroll, like even if he made quite a career in, in Europe, like spend 10 years in the Euro yeah. leagues or something like that. I mean, that's, that's he's wonderful. Yeah. Because of how skilled he is, he'll he be playing basketball hit, for a while. Yeah. His athleticism might limit his top end potential, but he's, he's a basketball player that can play as long as he wants. Yeah. hundred percent. Um, so let's move on. Uh, we can keep going on Sam Merrill, but we're going to move yeah. on to, uh, tease that we were going to talk about tennis. This will be a little shorter, but the men's tennis coach, James Wilson, who was establishing what was, What's been for the last three or four years, probably the best program in Utah State in terms of wins, losses, championships, uh, some in some ways even national ranking. Um, they won, in Wilson's tenure, they won two regular season and two conference tournament titles. Um, yeah, I think, it, I don't know if I mentioned, they made it to like number 37 kind of at their peak. They were a top 50 team, which doesn't sound super prestigious, but it is kind of a big deal for them to have been ranked that high and yeah. be that good. And they've had pretty much all of their best players in program history have been coming through the last few years. I mean, Wilson coached the all-time wins leader for a couple of years. There's two guys who are very quickly climbing the charts. Um, yeah, I'm, I remember in your article, I have it pulled up now, um, you mentioned some guys like uh, Jose Carvajal, um, one of the guys who's 
rapidly yeah, yeah, increasing the ranks. And the other guy, I'm going to try and butcher his name, Sergio Bucher. <laughs> I, I, I'm, oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I, that was awful. We're going to have to go to like a foreign name specialist or something like that. I can get some of them. It's... <sighs> you got to put that little bit of flair on it, like... Nikola Jokic, like you gotta really Sergio. Yeah, Sergio. Probably it's not Sergio or Sergio. Right. It's Sergio. like Sergio. It's a U at the end. So yeah. like Sergio Bukur. Yeah. That sounded pretty good. It's probably really wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's uh, I have a lot of respect for these guys because he's a really good player. I keep yeah. I keep slaughtering his name, but he keeps slaughtering opponents on the tennis court. You see what <laughs> hey, I did there? <laughs> hey, yeah, yeah. Saved yourself a little bit there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um so He's, he's him and uh, Jose Carvajal or Carvajal or like Carvajal, names, believe, yeah. names, names, names. Uh, really good tennis players. Again, yes. they're they're going to be here next year, I believe. I think both of them. Yeah, um, both of them are still going to be eligible to be on the team next year. Yeah, and so the, they'll probably be fine, and maybe they'll bring in another tennis coach who's going to be just as good, or but maybe not. I don't know. The the there's recruiting has a ton to do with this because there's only so much you can do coaching wise. You can't right. really scheme tennis better you just have to kind of coach and develop a player because tennis players either good or he's not right well and you know that's kind of <laughs> we're trying not to butcher th- these people's names but i mean part of the reason why they have such you know foreign names because a lot of them are foreign that's one of the biggest recruiting strengths that they've had um yeah. with wilson at the helm is more than half of their roster is from outside the yeah. united states and america i don't think there's a single one from utah is there one um no it looks like we have a guy from colorado and that is uh the closest yeah so they they recruit from literally everywhere and these are just all around the globe yeah, spectacular yeah. tennis players so kind of going in on that i'll, I'll defer to you on this a little bit because you did a little bit more research for this than i did but um with the talent that they have remaining um obviously you lose the coach but it's not so much what they're going to look like next year is the story is like what happened? How did he end up leaving is the kind of question. So do we really know anything about this right now? So right now I, we don't know much, you know, that he left and I know that it caught people off guard. Yeah. Um, they weren't really expecting it. And now he's just kind of a wall. Yeah. Um, which is strange for somebody who, you know, as good as coach as he is, that he kind of just full on disappears. Yeah. And it's like the release that Utah State put out. And what I've gotten is that he's just pursuing other career opportunities. I don't know what those career opportunities are. The one thing that's curious, though, is that so if the him stepping away is what happened, as Utah State has said, which I would assume that's correct. I don't think they would specifically lie about that. Yeah. They have no reason to do that. Right. Uh, he would have to pay $10,000 for an early termination. And the thing is, you think you know, he's a Division One head coach. The dude made $70,000 his first year as head coach and 75000 his next year. Right. That's nearly a tenth of, like, you know, it's like one-fourteenth of two years' salary. Well, and the bulk of his money would have came in the back of end of his contract if he yeah. would have stayed, too. Yeah, he would have got 80000 and eighty-five. I think. He gets, he gets bonuses, and he probably got most of the bonuses that are listed in his contract. There's, you know... They're around a thousand dollars for things like making, you know, having players that make the NCAA tournament, like individual tournaments, you know, winning conference championships, things like that. So he probably got an extra. He might have got somewhere in the ten thousand yeah. dollar range in bonuses over two years, but it's still a hit. Yeah. yeah. So it's a guy who's probably in the, you know, that's like like middle middle class income, like lower right. middle class income. Yeah. 
take a ten thousand dollar check out of that and that's, that's tough. That's yeah, tough. So it's like he stepped away, had to pay ten thousand dollars. That's what I would assume based on the contract and what I've heard. Why is he stepping away? I think that's he's, the question. He's having plenty of success. Yeah. It's just and it's a mystery. We we don't know. We can speculate till the cows come home, but we don't know. I'm still doing some digging. I'll I'll find out a little bit more hopefully in this next week and maybe we can even talk about it or yeah. watch for the want to work <laughs> with the statesman shameless plug right. shameless plug. <laughs> yeah, so let, let's table that for now and let's talk about another situation that's kind of not necessarily all put together right now is the women's basketball team um they lost quite a few players already this offseason and you know they lost two really good players just through um you know graduating when Rachel Brucer and uh um Deja Mason Deja Mason sorry um but yeah so what's kind of the state of their program right now because I know Shannon Duffy just um announced a week or two ago that she's going to be uh, committing to the University of Missouri um all-time assist leader uh, Eliza West you know, also leaving the program so where are they kind of at right now what's kind of the mood around this program so I talked to Jerry just this morning like I mean an hour or so before this podcast uh, that we're recording and he's pretty optimistic. He's an optimistic guy. Obviously, he's disappointed. Yeah. Um, to a degree, uh, he, it caught him a little off guard. At least he he said he wished he had a little bit more warning because recruiting becomes a lot harder when you realize you're losing four, three of your best players, and they also lost another freshman. But she actually didn't play last year anyway. She was injured, um, so she she was never able to step on the court. But um, they're bringing in. I think I think they're going to have five freshmen this year. So they've got like five, four or five freshmen, a lot of which are going to have to be primary contributors. The The main players they brought back that I was starting to talk about, you have Haley Bass, who's really the main player. She's going to be a senior this year. She's played, I believe, pretty much all four years. She's been in and out of the starting lineup and in and out of a major role. It's been, She's been on a roller coaster her whole career. Yeah. Um, year to year and even in the season, almost game to game. Which has kind of been the nature of this program. Jerry really plays with his starting lineups a lot. He probably ran like eight or nine different starting lineups and didn't really have any injuries like during the season yeah. that had to force his hand in terms of lineups that I was aware of. It was just he was trying different things. Um, but Haley Bass is going to have to be one of the biggest minutes player. Uh, and Jerry, one of the things he talked about was they're going to have to replace Shannon Duffy's statistics. She averaged a double-double last year. Um, like 16 points, 10 rebounds ish. Um, yeah, loved, was, loved the conference in rebounds. Yeah, so she was the she was the team leader in minutes, points, rebounds. I think steals as well, and um, was up there in blocks as well. So she was almost you know a cross the board stat leader. And then you lose Eliza West, who is your assist leader. So you lost right. literally every leader in every stat, and most of the top four in each of those stats. So we talked about replacing the statistics. There's a lot to replace. There's Shannon, there's Eliza. Olivia West struggled a little bit last year, but she was the leading scorer on the team two years ago. Yeah. So you, you kind of get the scope of how much they've lost and how much they have to replace with freshmen. Yeah. With inexperienced players. And from what he told me, there's only so much I can find out because you can't really research women's basketball online the way you can yeah. men's. But from what he talked about, there are a lot of them are scorers. Mm-hmm. And they can get points. I don't know if they're shooters which can be important. Yeah, sometimes, sometimes. <laughs> making baskets. Well, so uh, uh, one of the players that 
shot the ball pretty well last season. Um, probably is going to have to take on a bigger role this coming season. Amy Harris, um, where do you see like somebody like her or even maybe Marlene Eniabusu kind of making more of an impact this coming next season? Yeah, so you mentioned Emmy, Emmy Harris and Steph Gorman are two. They're, right. they're not the... The seniors, they're going to be, I think, either sophomore both or sophomore, juniors. Yeah. Sophomores. Both, both really can shoot the lights out. Yeah, so they're, they're the two best shooters on the team. They're going to play key roles. Marlene, uh, Jerry's been very high on her since she came in. She's the best athlete on the team. She's lacking some refinement and polish in terms of her game overall. But, and I think for all of last year and even right now, Jerry said that she can be a, a really big key for the success because if she can really get a handle on Division One basketball – then she can be one of the most important players, a utility player, because she can do a little bit of everything. Yeah. Theoretically, she struggles a little bit in some areas. Uh, well, she struggles a lot in all those yeah. areas, but, but she's can, but she's can, yeah. She's so strong under basket though. That's yeah. like one of the things that you notice right away when she gets on the court is you know Shannon Duffy. She she could hold her ground. She obviously led the conference in rebounds, but there's just something different about Marlene when you see her on the court. Like she holds her position, doesn't even let other players like come anywhere close to her when she's yeah. trying to get a rebound. Yeah, you you can just see that untapped potential. That you know, if, if you can get there, right. if she can get there, then you know that unlocks a ton mm-hmm. for the team, and especially since she'll be a senior. She's a junior college transfer, um, so she played her first year at Utah State last year, and then she'll play her final collegiate year this year. Yeah. Um, then they have one more senior, Lindsay Jensen-Baker. She's been she's injured. Kind of an up-and-down career yeah, as well. She, she's not really played a whole lot. Yeah. I think Emmy and Steph have played more minutes than her, Yeah, and they're both sophomores. So there's there's a lot of uncertainty. There's just so much youth you could see this team winning only five games. If things go their way, they could go 500. If something really surprises us, maybe they could have an above-average season yeah. as far as like close to a 21 season. But that would be the absolute you know, ceiling there for that team. Yeah. Um, I mean, it all kind of depends on how the conference shakes up too. So that's something probably once it gets close to the season, everyone's kind of settled in their rosters. I'm not sure if um, they have any more scholarships that they could use. Uh Probably not at this point in the season, but yeah, you know. I, I think they're about done with recruiting about same yeah. as men's basketball is. So they're going to go on a trip to Mexico in August. Right. And they're they're going to get 10 practice days and then they're going to play like three or four games. I forget. I haven't really looked into it a ton, but Jerry would really talk about that, how huge that is, especially because of the situation, because they're going to get, you know, right now they get like, I think he said like eight hours a week or something like that. Yeah, it's not much. Yeah, it's it's barely anything. And you see, with these practice days, they're going to get more done in a day than they can a week, which yeah. will just be huge. And then they'll get to see their players in game situations against other collegiate teams that are going to be in Mexico. So that'll be a real boon to the team. We'll see how much it helps because they're going to need some team building. They're going to need right. some chemistry. And they're going to need just straight-up player development Yeah, for how young and small they're going to be. They're bringing a lot of guards. They're going to go from a very big team to a very small team. Hey guys, quick break. When we get back, we're going to play optimistic and pessimistic with some of the Utah State football topics for this upcoming season. Stick around. Yes, let's let's get into programs that are having success right now, although I guess we talked about basketball, which, to be honest, I'm more excited about basketball than football for... I just love basketball, man. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think I'm it might excited. just it might just be the fact that I'm still wearing off of that NBA craze. You yeah. Because from like January to, well, 
Let's it's, be honest. It's 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 November to August, really. <laughs> I don't know. It's well, like the the NBA season, like as far as news coming up. But for me, I get really right. to the NFL into January and February. Fair so post February, I really get into um, the NBA. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it is kind of like the unofficial start of the NBA. It's like right around Christmas time. NFL is almost starting to die off. The playoffs yeah. start. You can kind of focus a little bit more attention on it. Yeah, if, if, yeah. If you talk to me in like September, November, it's football, football, football. Basketball's going on. Yeah. Um, yeah. What's that? <laughs> what is this basketball? Yeah. <laughs> um. So, but anyway, after that segue, let's get into football. So, football. What? what? Let's talk some football. <laughs> so, uh, even though we're you know still two months away from the start of the season, yeah, like August thirtieth or something yeah. like that. It's, it's earlier than it usually yeah, is. It might which be, it's yeah. great get more football on our diet a little earlier that's yeah that's kind of what we need i got i bought a phil stills preview magazine thing nice. and now i'm yeah. all excited for football and it's just way too far out i know why did they put those out in like april because then you just have like a <sighs> yeah well things change that yeah, but still it's well probably takes some probably takes them the whole year to put that right. thing together yeah i think yeah, it's got to be a full-time job but um definitely people still talking about it and uh, recently sporting news put out their uh um all conference teams and all American teams um, to go along with Athlon Sports did about a month or so ago. And obviously somebody who's been getting a ton of hype, uh, Jordan Love. We're going to kind of start with him in this little pessimistic, optimistic segment we're going to do today on the football program. Yeah. And so speaking of Jordan Love, you have uh, a viewpoint, a take, whatever you want <laughs> we'll to call, call it. A viewpoint yeah. To be positive about yeah. it. Yeah. Maybe plays playing a little bit of devil's advocate, but um, you think he's getting a little bit too much hype. Explain yeah. that. So, I mean, so I've, I've gone back and I've watched a lot of film just trying to rewatch and see what Jordan Love, you know, just understand a little bit more, watch his game because – it was all, it always worried me through the season just how he was playing such weak competition so much. So I went back to see, all right, what's what's he good at? What's he doing good? What's he not doing so well? Um, and the thing is, when I say overhyped, I do not mean that he's bad. He's the best quarterback in the Mountain West, and he's the best quarterback in the state of Utah. Yes. I just feel like he's, you know, the when we say it's not even close. Well, it kind of is a little close. Yeah. So the, I forget his name of the quarterback in Utah, Huntley. Yeah, Tyler Huntley. Um, he's not exactly far behind. Zach Wilson, I'm iffy on him. BYU think, fans aren't. <laughs> yeah, BYU fans think that he's, I mean, even better than they thought of Taysom Hill at some point. But yeah. um, I I don't know. I want I don't want to completely interject, but I will say what I've seen of Tyler Huntley, I still think that Jordan Love is that next level above, and there's yeah. still quite a bit of space between that, but go on. Yeah, so Jordan Love is, is obviously better, and you, you can make that distinction. We can make it with confidence. But there is a lot of room for him to go on the things I saw. Now, I'm not really worried about the level of competition because if you look at it, the games where he played some of his toughest opponents, Michigan State, Boise State, really good games. I'd actually argue his best game of the season was against Michigan State. In terms yeah. like and he, he threw zero touchdowns and two interceptions. But I and, might agree. I mean, yeah. the pressure that he faced and to still, uh, you know, come out as clean as he did in that game and still pr- pr- continue to progress the offense throughout the game. And yeah. people, if they, if you don't remember, they were in a position to win that game with whatever was a minute or so left on the clock. Yeah. And, you know, just unfortunately fumbled the ball. But I mean, 
yeah, he played he played great in that game. That's the point. Yeah, and the two interceptions weren't necessarily his fault. He got hit as he threw. Yeah, and so he ended up throwing a duck because it's it's hard to throw a ball when some three hundred pound defensive tackle is, you know, running right. running into you at full speed. Um, and it's hard to really gauge how questionable the throw was anyway. So they're kind of the interceptions are kind of a wash, but. Also, just and you know, you mentioned the pressure and things like that. He led what could have been a game-winning drive had the defense managed to hold Michigan State. Yep. Um, and you know, when you look at the scope of the throws he had to make, he was throwing all over the field, making all the throws, NFL throws, you know, elite college throws. He just looked so good delivering the ball on time in the right spot. And it was the first game of the season. Just he looked spectacular. Um, and. In contrast, that if you look at I think New Mexico, where he had like 480 yards or something like that, that was a mediocre game. Like, yeah, obviously he made a lot more of that than most people can. But you look at some of the things he was doing; it's like he's throwing it to guys who are wide open by about 20 yards. There are throws right. that, if I could throw the ball that far, I could fit it into the windows. Yeah, obviously he makes more of it because he's a lot better than you know I am and pretty much every other quarterback he played this season. But, but last season's kind of interesting in that way though because. As good as his numbers were, and like he put up a ton of great numbers against different opponents, and you say, you know, obviously played good in that Michigan State game, Boy State game, but just the level of opponent that he played throughout the season, it's interesting to tell, okay, so is that because he was playing these lower tier teams, or is he just really that good and it doesn't matter whoever he plays, he's going to, you know, make those same passes? Yeah, and so those are my concerns. He had a couple of bad games. Well, the one bad game against Wyoming, he was just off, completely off. Like, he missed so many throws that he normally makes. Colorado State, to a similar degree, he did lead a game-winning drive. Granted, he kind of got bailed out by, I think it was Jordan Nathan. It was Jordan Nathan or Aaron Bonds that caught mm-hmm. a really long pass that set up the uh, what became the game-winning score. Right. But, you know, my, my main concerns are, one, this upcoming season, one, the schedule's going to be harder. Two, his offensive line is not going to be nearly as good. And one thing, if you look at the film, Jordan Love has really poor pocket presence. He's not very good at dodging pressure, making the right decisions, and making a quick decision under pressure to make the right throw. Do you think that's because he just didn't get very much pressure throughout the season, so he didn't really have that room to grow? Or do you think that's something that's actually part of his game that he's just not very good at? I think it's just more he never faces, so he never he's never he's not developed it. Yeah. Because um, you look at the offensive line, you you think that it's just the fact they played a cupcake schedule. Well, against Boise State, the best you know pass rushing team in the Mountain West, I don't think they touched Jordan Love when they played him. They had, didn't have a sack. They might have had a QB hit or something. And that was funny because I remember coming into that game, they were, um, I believe, the best team in the nation at sacks, or excuse me, in the conference in sacks, and like somewhere in the top twenty in the nation. Yeah, they were really good at yeah. getting to the quarterback, and that offensive line was a stalwart. Like. That is probably, among other things, or maybe not just comparing, like it might be the number one reason Utah State was so good last year on offense was that offensive line. The rush game, the pass game, obviously there were a lot of skill players that you know took advantage of that offensive line, but the fact that it's not going to be nearly as good this season could be a huge difference. That's one of the reasons why I'm concerned about Jordan Love is can he do the same things he did when he doesn't have all of this kind of hand to him on a silver platter. That's interesting. So it's maybe not necessarily Jordan Love and his talents and his abilities on the field, but what he might be surrounded with depleted compared to last season. Yeah. I want to see where he can grow because last year he's a young quarterback. He didn't like there's some reading of defenses, but again, he 
relied on the coaching staff. You do the the hard count, and then you look over to the sideline. The coach tells you what play to run. You know, I want to see can he read a defense? Can he look and see? You know, this is man coverage. I want to make this throw. You know, every now and again you see these plays where he just looks at his one receiver and he's going to make that throw. Right. I want to see him go through his progressions, which he didn't really have to. That was the big thing. He didn't have to go through his progressions because his first receiver is wide, wide open. wide open and he's going to throw the touchdown. Yeah, so he never has to worry about that. And so I want to see can he really go through the progressions, find the open receiver. It, it's those plays that don't work out well. Right. You know, that's the difference between me, a game manager, quarterback, and an elite quarterback is when the play doesn't go perfectly, can you make the right decision where you either save a, a down by maybe throwing it away or making a safe throw or finding that wide open guy by escaping the pocket or, you know, and any number of things can happen in any number of different ways depending on your skill set. Right. So, and although the uh, offensive line is definitely going to be depleted compared to last season, one area on the offense that you think they actually might have improved or at least stayed pat um, is in the receiving core. What do you see from them compared to last season that you feel optimistic about that bunch? So improved is a strong word. I won't say that. It's possible they could, but my main thing is they're not going to be a problem. You know, people are worried about, they. he lost like 80% of his receiving yeah. production or something to that effect. I did the calculation like two months ago and I can't remember it. But he has enough weapons that he's going to be fine. You know, enough talented weapons. Carson Terrell, I think, will fill in all right for Dax Raymond. They don't have a very tight end-centric passing. Like, they didn't use... Yeah. I never felt like they used Dax Raymond enough, even though he was like second or third in receptions and yards and whatnot. Well, Dax Raymond, I think, had like three career touchdowns, which is criminal. Yeah. This man plays in the NFL now. <laughs> yeah. You have a six foot five athletic tight end. Throw him the dad gum ball in the end zone. <laughs> yeah, it's a fair point. Well, I mean, and maybe the fact that they had Tarver on the outside that also had that, you know, extreme height and leaping ability, kind of they just went to him by, yeah. you know, demand or yeah, whatever. Yeah, they went to him and they went to Green. The thing is, I don't know how many red zone plays they had because against BYU, I think Jordan Love threw four touchdown passes, and I think three of those touchdown passes were the exact same play, and they ran <laughs> it a fourth time and missed. So wow. they ran that play four times in the end zone. And you can see that it's just this weird he – he's on the outside, outside the numbers, does a slant inside, and Jordan Love throws it through this window uh, just off the left tackle high, and then um, I think uh, both Tarver and Green caught that same pass hmm. for touchdowns in that game. But this thing is – but this year, I don't think it's going to be a problem. They have some shorter receivers, like because last year they had Tarver and Green, who were both like six three plus, right? And obviously they had Raymond, so they had like three or four guys who were six three or taller. Now they've got Savon Scarver, who's five eleven. I know uh, some people have said he's going to be a red zone target. I'm like, he's 5'11". That's not a red zone target. Yeah. That's borderline slot receiver. <laughs> they watched the spring game. They saw the catch, and yeah. they're like, this guy's going to well, be the new. If he can be a deep threat, that's spectacular. I'm thinking he'll make enough of a, a step up that he can be a good receiver. If he improves his hands, he had a couple of big drops last year. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's obviously, we know his speed because he's a spectacular kick returner, and yeah. he, can, he can get around. I think he can run the routes. It's just about becoming a reliable receiver, you know, that that aspect of the game. Right. Uh, Jordan Nathan, I think, will take plenty of a step up. I think he'll be very useful. He, those punt returner types, because he's a punt returner, love those types in the slot because yeah. you can utilize them so much. They get If you got good hands on them, which 
he hasn't had much opportunities. We don't know enough about him, but I think he'll be just fine. They'll utilize him. I was impressed with him compared to like the, the little group that they did have last year of that kind of slot mold. I think I was probably the most impressed with Jordan Nathan. Yeah. And it'll be interesting because Jordan Love's not very good at throwing to slot receivers. Uh, he very much loves, and this is another, if I can cheat back to the Jordan Love thing, he's very good at throwing a deep <laughs> ball. are you trying to knock him down? He's the best I, quarterback they've had in years. I know. It's just, I do it because I love him, man. And <laughs> that pun wasn't intended. It's it's never intended, by the way. Oh, my gosh. It took me a second, but. Oh, you didn't get it? Kudos for that. Yeah, yeah. Um, there, there's so much you can do with that, but. It's because, you know, I see this and I'm hoping to see him improve in these areas because if he does, he becomes an NFL quarterback. Yeah. Well, and speaking of that, I was doing a little digging, you know, leading up to this today. And even like some places as reputable as 24-7 sports have him as the number three player to watch as quarterbacks coming to the NFL right behind uh, Justin Herbert and Tua Tagovailoa. The thing is, he has all the tools. He has the arm. He has the size. He's decent enough athletic to be in the NFL. He's not going to – he'll be a pocket passer in the NFL. And he's that way in college too. The The main thing he has to work on, like just about any quarterback who's got a big arm and loves to throw the ball downfield, it's those 5- to 10-yard passes. And it's not like he's airmailing a 10-yard pass. It's that it's not quite in the right spot. It doesn't have the right zip on it. Yeah. Because you know? he likes to throw balls that have loft on them. Yeah his bullet passes aren't quite there yet. You see him every now and again, you can kind of see him, but he loves to throw touch passes and a little bit of loft, mm-hmm. which they're spectacularly accurate. It's those, you know, it's three or four yards slant route. You got to zoom in there because that window is about two feet big. Right. And again, it's it's one of those things he has to work on. When we talk about Sam Merrill, where these these small areas yeah. that turn you from borderline elite to truly elite. Right. So those are the areas where, you know, I heard one guy say Jordan Love has pin- pinpoint accuracy and I'm like, like 10 yards downfield. <laughs> Limited window. But you know, ironically, the funny thing is, you know, he's at the Manning Passing Academy right now. Two guys that are hosting that, Eli yeah. and Peyton, they kind of made a career out of doing that, just throwing the accurate lobs. They were never really like pinpoint Brett Favre and Rogers type where they could just sling it in there. So, I mean, definitely something to improve, but maybe there's a chance you can kind of get away with it and, you know, just rely on some of his other abilities. Yeah, so that's the thing. I see he's a good quarterback and I, when I say overhyped, I'm not saying he's bad. I want to get that across for anyone who wants to try and oh, hate yes, me. Oh, yes, you did. Oh, yes, you did. I'm going to get Go, it. Listen to the tape. I'm going to get it from some people. <laughs> I'm just going <laughs> to no, get it. Like playing. People are going to be negative about this, but it's. I, I want to see him improve in these areas, maybe just because I'm being nitpicky and I'm taking his greatness for granted. Yeah. Um, you definitely are, Jason. I am. I'll, I'll <laughs> to that, some but, extent, no. But... Uh, <laughs> But I don't like to see people overhype him when I'm seeing these things, and it's like, you know, you, you guys got to see these things. Yeah. You know, I, I haven't really pointed them out publicly. It's just like there are these things that I can see he's, you know, not as good in this area. So don't try and put him on a pedestal where he's not there yet. Well, exactly, and that's the thing. Like these guys may be really talented, and this is going to be a really good team. Jordan Love's an excellent quarterback, but they're still in college. Let's remember that. Yeah. So they're supposed to be growing and improving at this time. Yeah. So don't expect everything out of them. Yeah, and that's the biggest thing. Is I, I mentioned all these things. I'm not worried at all. Right. Because there's all these things you mentioned, you know, being in college, like reading defenses and like he's not going to be Tom Brady. Tom Brady's been doing Hardly this. anybody does that in college. Like yeah. even guys that are the top two draft picks the last two years, they, they didn't have to do that in college. It's not required of them. Yeah. And a lot of people can't even do it in the pros. It's, it's a very unique skill to be able to do that and to know and to be able to call the audible. So that's why I'm not worried because the dude was a sophomore last yeah, year. Exactly. So, but again, it's a hold on. 
let's take a breath. Let's wait to put him on the pedestal. Let's yeah. let him prove himself. Yeah. So I think this will be a very indicative of you know if he throws for another thirty two hundred yards, I'll probably be sold on it. Yeah. Um, He's but, got the potential. Yeah. But again, back to the receivers. Uh, <laughs> he'll have a chance to prove himself on those short routes because, and I don't remember Gary Anderson's offense exactly how it worked. I'll have to go back and watch it. It'll probably be different from Matt Wells. And, it w- uh, it was it was different, and but in some ways uh, they kind of had similar personnel. Because I mean, when they were really peaking, obviously he had Chucky Keaton and Kerwin Williams were like two of the best players on those teams, and they were kind of similar in some ways to um, maybe a Gerald Bright and Jordan Love. So yeah. it, it might be, and obviously that's been six seven years since that happened. So things could have changed, but yeah. But he's going to have some good slot receivers. He'll have some good outright outside receivers, I believe. Uh, was it C.O.C. Mariner? Yeah, C.O.C. Mariner that's should expect a good contribution coming from Utah. He he wasn't ever like the top receiver, but he gave some good minutes and you know had like some pretty key receptions. Yeah, and so I think that that addition is big. I think that really put me over the top and thinking, all right, I'm done worrying about receivers. Yeah, obviously it won't be as good as last year's crop, but it's not going to be a problem. Yeah. So uh, uh, now kind of transitioning into this, a position that might be kind of a problem. And when I was doing some kind of digging research to kind of see where this team's at after the losses um, on the defense, def- what did I say? Defensive. Where De- did I- defensive. Defensive. Diffusion. Di- I don't know where I just transported to, but <laughs> anyways, um, on the defensive side of the ball, uh, their pass rush, as good as it was last year, you know, Tipit Nalii, uh, David Woodward also both had over, I think, 12 tackles for loss last year. It's still kind of thin in those areas. Um, they do get a recruit uh, recently, Jalen Bannerman, I believe is how. Yeah. yeah. Jalen Bannerman um, looks like an absolute stud. But anyways, um, what are your kind of thoughts about the depth of those positions? So... This is probably one of my more hot takes in terms of um, my optimistic versus pessimistic views of where Utah State football is. And I think Utah State's going to have the best front seven in the Mountain West. Pass rush, we'll see. I think they'll be fine, especially because they have T. Penalier. You have a top-end talent like that, you automatically have a good pass rush. Yeah. Just because so much effort has to be taken into account for that guy and then opens up other people and, you know, there's just – and. We'll see if the defense plays similar because last year and even the year before that, they used their corners and things on a lot of blitzes. Yeah, and, they really did. And so you, you see a lot of the corners having inordinate numbers of sacks, like four or five, then they'll have six or seven or eight tackles for loss, which you don't really see from corners because that's no. not really their job. But if you can use them right, then you have, I think DG Williams had like seven tackles for loss yeah. last year. So, but I think with a, with having David Woodward and T. Penalier, um, so Utah State is the only team in the Mountain West who brings back two players who are in the top ten in both sacks and tackles for loss. Huge. Yeah, and you can probably guess who those two guys are. <laughs> probably. Um, they also bring back three either basically starters or rotation players. I think two defensive linemen direct starters. And they're Polynesian names. Well, one of them's Devin Anderson. I can say his name because <laughs> it's an American enough name. But the other one's oh, it's Christopher Unga, actually. Yeah. Um, and then the, the last one's actually the one I can't say. It's like Fuo... Um, yeah, um, I, I can't remember, but for a little, yeah. So those guys are Probably all stars. They're, apologize. they're they're rotation guys. They're good players. I think Ungu was like third. He shows up in like the third or fourth team around in terms of a lot of these all conference teams. Yeah. So you've got good quality depth there on the you know they're, they're bringing some other guys back on the defensive line. They're bringing in some 
some recruits and some college transfers. They have, I think, four or five three-star recruits, either linebackers or defensive ends or linemen or things like that. So they're bringing in some guys. Yeah. I remember they, Christian Lavelle was a really high, I think they might have been their highest rated recruit um, yeah. last season. I think it's, so yeah, you, you've got some good incoming guys, the best linebacker in the conference, the best pass rusher in the conference, and some good depth. So I really like this front seven. And it seems like, it feels like we're sh- the team shifts back and forth between having a good secondary and a good front seven. Right, A couple yeah. years ago, we had this really good secondary with all these great players. And this year, which uh, it kind of leads me to my, my pessimistic side of the defense, is that the secondary has some nice pieces, but this is where I think depth is going to hurt a little bit. Yeah. DJ Williams could be the best corner in the conference. Yeah. Shaq Bond is good. He's good, yeah. yeah. After that... There's a few question marks. I, they have Jamarcus Ingram, who uh, is good. I think Cameron Haney's coming back, I believe. I actually don't think he's is with he the not roster. Coming back? Yeah, I'll double check that. Uh, yeah, I can't remember. There's there's a couple guys. I think they lost Deontay Fortenberry, too. Yeah. So yeah, if they, yeah, if they lost him, then again, it's just, it's more question marks. If, if they can get some of these new guys to be good, then that can solve the depth right. problem. It's Haney just, is coming back, by the way. Uh Oh, Haney? Yeah. Okay. So, so that helps. But there's just some questions of depth, and you, you think about, yeah, if you're, you know, your two starters at corner and your two safeties, well, that's not really how we play defense nowadays. You have your you know three-corner and four-corner and five-corner packages. Yeah. You have to have those, or your five DB packages. So, you know, your, your nickels and dimes and all that. You have to have – you have to be like six or seven deep. And last year, actually, at the end of the year – that was really hurting them. Their pass defense wasn't really that good. You, they, if quarterbacks had the time, they could find holes in the secondary pretty easily. Yeah. And so again, they have some good pieces. Let's see it, if we can put them all together. Yeah, it's the it's getting the every filling in the other holes. Yeah. And so that's that's my main concern with the defense is the depth of the secondary. Okay. So as an overall unit, do you think Utah State, because they lost some parts on uh, defense last year, but I mean, they definitely lost a lot more on offense. Do you think that their defensive side of the ball will kind of balance out what they might have lost on offense and they can still, you know, not have to worry about that as much? Oh, yeah, the defense will be good. Yeah, I, I'm hoping it'll be better than last year. I, I'm thinking it will be just because some some development and they still got depth. They returned seven starters. Yeah. And with how dominant the front seven, I think, will be, that'll help them a ton. Because if you have a dominant front seven, that can mask some of the issues of the of the the defensive backs. Right. Because you, if you stop the run and you eliminate the run, yeah, that's probably the best thing you can do as a defense. Right. Because then you're ready for the pass. And if you're ready for the pass... That makes up for a lot of depth issues. Right. Well, it's always kind of the cliche is like the best secondary is a good pass rush. Yeah. It, it's, it's, that's really true because if the quarterback has no time, you've got Tip Nollier bearing right. down on him and or this uh, Bannerman guy, if he yeah. turns out to be really well, then well, it doesn't matter if the guy's wide open. Right. You know, <laughs> good luck getting tenure, it to tenure, him. Yeah. <laughs> you're not going to get it there. So I think the defense will be just fine even with some of these concerns on the secondary. And even then, if they fill in the – problems with the secondary then you have the most dominant defense in the mountain west right and kind of answering your question i think it'll make up i think it will make up for anything on offense and i don't think the offense is going to have issues i think it's just going to struggle 
especially if they can't answer the questions at the offensive line. Yeah. If they can't answer the questions at the offensive line, it doesn't matter if they end up the you know the wide receivers aren't a problem. Jordan Love's not going to have time. Right. Joe Bright's not going to get a ring. That's that's another thing I'm kind of pessimistic on. Is I'm worried about Gerald Bright as far as him being able to produce. Hmm. Although they have they have a deep running back, so it, what, they, they may not have to rely on Gerald Bright. What do you see there spe- uh, specifically with Gerald Bright? Um, is it maybe that he just isn't up to the talent that Darwin Thompson was, or do you think like what do you see that he might be lacking? I th- just when I watched him run it, he didn't he didn't wow me as a runner. Mm-hmm. And there were times Darwin Thompson didn't either. Darwin Thompson just has a lot of power, and right. and so th- there's some things that he has that Thompson does. Or, uh, the t- <laughs> yeah. Just doubling up on our <laughs> running backs here. I'm, I'm thinking like three sentences ahead. Yeah. Um, Bright <laughs> is a decent enough starter. Uh, the thing is, I was I spent half of last year wondering why Gerald Bright was getting as many touches as he did mm. for how good Thompson was doing. Mm. And when you look at games where Utah State played quality opponents, Bright really struggled. Mm. Um, most of his yards came off big runs. Um, I think I think I was doing calculations. I don't know if I have them with me, but like in the four times where they played opponents, and the uh, eventual point differential was less than ten, mm-hmm. he had 130 yards, no touchdowns on 32 carries. Interesting. And three of those carries, I think, ended up being like he had. Big runs of like 20, 17, right. and 14. If you take those out, then it drops to like 79 yards on 29 carries, which is like mm. three and a half yards a carry. I don't know exactly what it is, but not impressive. Yeah. And so I worry it, it comes back to the offensive line no, and the tougher yeah. schedule. If Because I think he, both he and Thompson really benefited from having a great offensive line. Because if you look at Thompson, actually, he had a similar trend. Mm-hmm. Um, he struggled almost as much in those same games. Yeah. Um, yeah, and maybe that's why so much was expected of Jordan Love was that like a lot of the times when they play quality opponents, the running game really never got going, and so it was kind of just like, okay, well, then let's put this more on Jordan Love's shoulders and see what he can do. Yeah, they weren't really good at establishing the run. It was kind of a secondary... It was just a thing they did. Yeah, it was kind of like open up the playbook, maybe not be as monotonous, let's run a couple plays, but... Yeah, it's funny because as many breakaway runs and like good screen passes and stuff like that you would see out of the backfield, they really never did have that like game where I was like, oh my gosh, they just ran it down their throats. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was mostly yeah they they'd have a few breakout runs. Yeah, so which I mean, <laughs> I guess you don't need to get six yard runs when you're running for six yard yeah. runs and getting to the end zone. Yeah, and Bright is capable of getting those big plays. He has some nice speed. He's a converted wide receiver. Right. Although for being a converted wide receiver. They didn't use a lot, utilize them very much in the pass game, which the thing is, they don't use their running backs very well in the pass game. They have like two or three types of plays. Mm-hmm. Basically just dump off passes. Right. Which, is, again, it's a college offense. You wouldn't expect that. They don't have to be the New England Patriots using, yeah. you know, James White out here. But I mean, like, to speak of New England Patriots, something they do, maybe if they split them out a little bit more and put them into their actual, like, receiving plays, maybe that could be something that could be beneficial. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not the coach. That's something they could do. There's... I just felt like the offense last year was simplistic. It kind of always was under Matt Wells. Yeah. But on well, David Yost too. Yeah, and they had but last year they had the talent, they had the week schedule and that combined for a yeah. spectacular season. It really was the perfect storm of like, okay, we're going to make this our year. Yeah. 
So I'm hoping that we can see, you know, as Jordan Love gets better and better, we can see more complex things because he'll be able to execute them. Um, well, but, and you always have the ace in your back pocket of something we haven't talked about thus far as Dominic Everly is, I mean, he can make basically <laughs> any kick on the field. All right, fourth down on our own 20. Right. Yeah, all right, Dominic, go out there. And, How are you feeling about this one? And he's like, oh, it's about a 75% chance, coach. So <laughs> it's a bit on the low end. You know, a 98-yard field goal. I'll go out there and give it a try. <laughs> Why not? Our defense is doing pretty well. Yeah. They'll just get a pick six. He's just like that guy from, I don't know if the, you ever saw the replacements, just kind of like puts out his cigarette and just shakes it off. I'm like, all right, let's give this a college try. <laughs> I don't know. I've never seen that. You've so. never seen that? No, I've not seen a whole lot of movies. You'll find you'll oh find that out pretty quick. Keanu Reeves fame. <laughs> I've not seen all, really many Keanu Reeves movies. Uh, so I'm guessing you're not a John Wick fan then. I've not seen John wow. Wick. Well, that's why this isn't a movie podcast then. <laughs> yeah. I'd be a terrible movie podcast guy. I'd be like, uh, Star Wars, Marvel, and we're done. <laughs> yeah, that's it. And Harry that's Potter, it, folks. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's all, folks. <laughs> so is there anything else you want to get to for the football team? We basically covered everything on our rundown. Is there uh, one thing that we might have missed? There's probably a lot of things we missed. Right. <laughs> yeah, <it's too> fair. <laughs> but yeah, speaking of that, get at us, uh, tweet at us, um, leave a comment. If there's anything that we missed or anything you have any comments about, start a discussion, feel free. We're at uh, Statesman Sports Desk on yeah. Twitter. Yeah, so it's at, it's at Statesman Sports. Mm-hmm. See, it's just called the Statesman Sports Desk. If you want us to talk about something in a podcast or yeah. just have a question, tweet at that account. We can, we'll can either tweet at you from that account or from one of our accounts. Yeah. Um, that's something we want to kind of do something uh, a little bit more in the future is get fans and get listeners questions and responses stuff kind of make this a little bit more interactive. Yeah, cause if it's just us two talking, then it gets a little boring eventually. <laughs> of course, we are going to be eventually put ourselves out there. We're going to try and bring in guests, things like yeah. that, uh, some coaches, hopefully some coaches and players from the football and basketball teams and really just from all across the Aggie yeah. sports landscape because there's, there's a lot out there. There's stories out there. And again, even in the offseason, there's so much going on. So just try and imagine <laughs> when the season actually starts, yeah. how amazing it'll be. Because you know we're we're looking at possibly the most anticipated sports here. Yeah. And this, that's just football and basketball, right? Again, there's much more past that. So we're gonna have some really exciting times for uh, Utah State. So it's a great time to be an Aggie. Yeah, bleed blue. What I don't even know the hashtag. Yeah, it's Aggies all the way. That's Aggies the all the way. That's right. Aggies all the way. Forgive me, I'm from California. Oh, come on. All right. Well, that's all we got. So uh, thank you so much, and we will talk to you next week. See you next week. Later.